Let us turn to the portion of scripture that we read, the book of Exodus and chapter 15. <coughs> I'm reading at the beginning. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The Lord and the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And again at verse 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. There are many comparisons that we find here with ourselves when we come to read the history of the children of Israel and how difficult they found the way to be. Anybody who thinks that the Christian faith is a smooth walk or a glide to heaven doesn't know much about the Christian faith because that's not what it is. What it is, is it is a fight to the finish. And here we have some of the moments that Israel experienced that were rather pleasant, more so after a trial and after the difficulty. They have just come out of the land of Egypt, they were bewildered with what happened there, and God didn't take them out there in, in, one, in one moment. There were many plagues, there were many things that were worked together uh, up unto that crisis and that moment when they came out. And they probably thought that they were over the worst then and nothing else would happen that would uh, stop them in the progress along this way. But that's not how the Lord works. The Lord works in his own way, so that not long after that we come across them at the Red Sea, with the Egyptians behind them, and the Red Sea in front of them. And there was no going. There to them, it was an absolute impossible situation. And that's how we see these things, and that is how the natural mind sees these things. And God wants us to depend upon him more than upon our natural mind when we are interpreting things like his dealings with us in this world. There are simplistic words that we can use at times which do not address the issue. And that is the important thing. So that we find them having crossed over that Red Sea. And now they, they have a moment's peace at the other side of the, the sea. And they are singing praises unto God. It is referred to as Moses' song. <coughs> Moses' song. 
This is an this was an old one. This was an old poem long before the ballads of Homer were ever sung on the streets of Greece. And it was a God-centered song, recognizing the supremacy of God, the holiness of God, the graciousness of God, even if it was for a moment. We read there in the psalm that they believed, and then in the next verse they said, they, it says that they didn't exercise their patience in the next step. And so it goes on for the Christian in this life, step by step. And that is what true worship is, recognizing the supremacy of God, the holiness of God, and the graciousness of God. And it ascends from hearts that have appreciated what God has done. That is one of the reasons, again, for long enough, we didn't appreciate what God did for us on the cross of Calvary. <laughs> and we have less excuse then than these people who were still wrestling with history at that point. They are the history that we have here directed bit by bit, step by step, along the way. They have come from the furnace to freedom. That's what they experienced. They experienced freedom when they came out of the, of the land of Egypt. Then they experienced the freedom again when they came up through the Red Sea and stopped there to give praise and glory to God. It's a song of redemption proceeding from redeemed hearts. That's when we sing to God from our hearts is when we are redeemed. When, we, when everything comes together and we realize this is worship. This is what they do in church. This is what is beneficial to our souls. Is Worshipping in spirit and in truth. The two on the way to Emmaus said, Did not be said our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us along the way. A moment before that, their hearts were downcast. There were, there were all sorts of questions. They thought, they thought, we thought, and all sorts of questions. But then, when Christ came into the company, then he explained to them what it was and that or the whole picture changes for them when then they say did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us along this way. And the great elements in redemption are purchase and power. Ransoming is the payment of a price. Redemption is the deliverance. We find that so often in our own present day where there are pirates that are taking over ships and, and various other things along the way. And then they make demands on the company. Demands for a, a ransom to be paid. And if the ransom is paid, then the redemption, then, then there's the deliverance. 
from us. That's the only way they're going to do it. It's their way, and it is by delivering them. And then freedom is experienced. And that is how it works in the person in a person's life. Christ died. But that's only beneficial to us when it is applied personally to our own lives. There is no incarnational uh, redemption. The fact that Christ came and that, that means everybody is saved. It's not like that. It doesn't work like that. There's no sacramental grace. My friend. There's no grace that comes to you through the sacraments. And there is no baptismal regeneration. The fact that I have been baptized, I am assured that I am a Christian. It doesn't work that way. Because all that nullifies the cross of Calvary. There is no true song in the heart until this happens. Until we are redeemed. He said he put a new song in my mouth, my God, to magnify. Unbelieving faith is God's goodness and greatness sung from the heart. They, in Psalm 106, they said, in verse 12, then they believed the word and praised to him in songs did give. Is that not the case in your own personal life when that happened? That moment, he said, I first believed. Things changed. And things were different. Things could never be the same again. Realistically, if we take it seriously. And how different from the previous moment where they were in that seemingly impossible situation that you and I can find ourselves on God's highway of life here in a seemingly impossible situation where nothing makes sense in the midst of time okay. in the fog of, of time and the day and the experiences and nothing makes sense to you that's how they found themselves. And they couldn't release themselves from that situation until God released them and brought them back. That's the process of sanctification that we speak of in the Bible. As we are poured from one vessel to another vessel by the Spirit of the Lord. In the house of bondage they sighed and cried. But now the sign has given away, given way to sing, sing unto the Lord. <coughs> what brought this change about? How were they possible? How was this possible? Well, it was through two things: the blood of the Lamb that they were told to put on the the doorposts and upon the lintel, and the power of God that is revealed to us. In, in chapter 13 regarding what this what had happened then say. And, and because of that you see we find that he says in chapter 13 and verse 3 then Moses said to the people remember this day in which you came out from Egypt out of the house of slavery for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place by a strong hand 
the Lord has brought you up from this place. The Lord brought them out of Egypt, brought them down into Egypt first of all. They multiplied there. Then he brought them out of Egypt. Then he brought them up, uh, out across the Red Sea to where they we find them here with this, this song that they are singing, which it says to us, it's implied that we cannot save ourselves. Cannot save ourselves. It is all of grace. It is all of God. It has to be. So there are three elements in this song that I want just to say a few things about in the wee time of spell that we have together. That, that this song was, first of all, it was a powerful song. He has triumphed gloriously. He has triumphed gloriously. It was a majestic act of surpassing anything that was natural. Because it wasn't natural, it was supernatural. And your salvation tonight is supernatural. Sense says it won't be done. Reason says it can't be done. Faith says it can and it will be done. That's the difference, you see. That's where we have to get off the the, the the natural plateau, in a sense, to focus upon the spiritual things. Why was why would this be done? Why was this such a majestic act? Why should it be done? Because God had said so. He said, when you bring them forth out, you say, you will stand on the mountains and give praise to me. And they were on the way to doing that. Triumphed over the natural force of life. Just the same as Jesus on the Sea of Galilee there. And they said, and in other places, and they said, Oh, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the waves are obedient unto him? See what it does? It doesn't leave any room for questioning. It is crystal clear for a moment. It's not a coincidence that has happened here. There is no room for arguing when you believe there is no room at that very second for the devil to come in because the Supreme One has taken over and he has gloriously revealed himself to you. What comes after that is different. Of course it is. Satan comes and attacks that but not at this point in the, in the case, because he does it with that supremacy and in such a majestic way that the psalmist could say, this is the doing of the Lord and wondrous in our eyes. This is the doing of the Lord and wondrous in our eyes. A people in an impossible situation, in the grip of the might of Egypt, in the fear of their life from another attack from them, 
But the Bible tells us that God is able to save unto the uttermost those who come to him through Jesus Christ. It draws our attention to the mind. How great is your God? That's the question. There's a book that, that, with that uh, title on it, Your God is Too Small. But here, you see, this God is no small. This God specializes in things thought impossible. He can work wonders and work them for you. We come up against the impossibility, against the buffers of time. And we feel that we have failed. We feel that we cannot go on because we are depending upon ourselves. God never said that we could go on, that we could do anything. He said you can't do nothing without me. Nothing. We can do a lot of harm. Of course we can. But as if when it comes to the kingdom, it has to be him. This is the God if he was to mark iniquity. Who could stand? The things that frightened them before are the things now that are dead in the depth like a stone, you see. They have went down unto the depth like a stone. And it wasn't the stone doesn't come back up once it enters into the depth. That is why we sang that why art thou cast down my soul? Your moments like that, if you're real, and if you are in the Christian faith here, and if you are honest with yourself, don't you have moments when you say, all things are against me? <coughs> Why are you cast down the psalmist? <coughs> and who can bring you out of that situation but God himself who says, still trust in God. Still trust in God. The theme of the song and our witness is what God has done, not what I have done or you have done or anybody else in this world has done, is to get the focus on to what God has done for us. What God did in Christ on the cross of Calvary for you and for me. If we believe it. For his people. Christ has triumphed. He has triumphed. And he said. Because you. I have triumphed. You will also triumph. And that brings us. To the second point. That we have here. Not as a powerful song. But it's a very personal. He says, it is, he said, Lord is my strength, my soul. He has become my salvation. This is my God. That is the way he, this is how he expresses it so personal. Salvation is personal. Personal. He has delivered his people, Israel, 
And because this is personal, it deals with you and with me as if there's no one else in this world. At that moment, as far as you're concerned, as I'm concerned, there was no one else in this world. It wasn't someone down the road since that upset us. It wasn't someone else down the road or something who said something else. It was all you against thee, thee only, have I sinned. That's the realist. That's how real it is. That's how personal it is. I have to deal with my sins, and I can't deal with my sins. Myself. I can't save myself. It doesn't matter whether I burn my body or whatever I do is in this world. It's because it's nothing. But Jesus can save you. He has delivered you. And these people now have a moment of peace and joy. Having overcome the difficulties of the previous day. And they have a, a peace within their heart. They have a joy in their heart. It's not a spontaneous joy like the world has. It's not that. There's a lot of places that go for that, you see. And they say, well, it says there's joy in the, in the, in the Bible. Yes, it says, but there's joy in the Lord. It is the joy that God gives you in your heart. That you can sing from your heart there in the midst of all the difficulties of life. A deep peace. A deep peace. The world rejoices in the circumstances. A lot of people would have been rejoicing over the weekend. It would not come quick enough because they would have wanted the hilarity of the weekend. And, and, and then it, it casts them out and it's all over. And it has, it's unfulfilled. It wasn't lasting. It was so artificial. So artificial. What goes on over in town there and all these things, for a moment it lifts the spirit up and then it it's down again. Because that's not salvation. That's a crutch that gets you from one place to another place. And that's what we want to get out of and get into the Bible and into our Saviour because there is nothing like it. Nothing. It doesn't matter about the difficult times. There are, of course there are difficult times, as we said at the beginning. There are trials and tribulations that afflict the just every day of their life. And many of them would say, if it wasn't for God, I don't know what I would have done in the midst of it all. See, when people, tragedies come into your home or into my home, then we don't run to the pub then for an uplift, for people to take care of these things. Where do we go to? Well, we come to the Word of God and to God and to the comfort that is there guaranteed for us. Of course, there are others who go to these things nowadays, but that's not real. That's what I mean, it's not real. That is just another form of escapism from the world. Because they only rejoice in the circumstances and experiences that they have. 
That's what leaves so much sadness in homes. That's what leaves so many children not knowing which way to turn in the midst of it all. The passion and work of Jesus Christ is what we recommend because it worked for us and we know it worked for them back in their day. We know that it worked in past generations and we know it will work in this generation and in generations to come. If the world is still here. He has become, he said, my salvation. With Thomas, he says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And such desires God's presence with them. And that's a great privilege to have in this world. God's greater is he that is with you and in you than anything that can ever be against you. Well, might they say with a, with a hymn writer, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, who like me his praise should sing. And it had a profound effect on the surrounding nations, the peoples, and therefore he said, have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. There is encouragement for the young people there as well. As I was, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. There is nothing out with it because of the immutability of his promise. And that is the oath that he swore upon himself and the promise cannot fail because where he begins a good work he will always bring it on to flourish. So you might ask, but that, what about today? Or what about the relevance of that in our present day and our post-modern day? <laughs> where everything and anything goes and nothing really, no absolute, nothing in life except what man sees. Well, when you displace God, that's what happens. But we see the chaos because the Word of God is, there's a timelessness about it. Timelessness. It doesn't change with the seasons. It doesn't change with the years. It is the same and effectual when it touches your heart, if it was to touch your heart tonight, it would have been the same as Moses is there. It would have been the same as anyone else. Because everything with God is today. It's not tomorrow. It's not yesterday. It's not the day afterwards. Everything with God is today. It is in His eternal presence. That's why we cannot see the picture developing. We cannot, we cannot know how things are going. But he knows. And that's our last point. It is a powerful song. It's a personal song. But it's a permanent song. Permanent song. 
the Lord is said to reign forever. And this is the one who has died and risen again from the dead. And he has risen in the power of an endless life. And that is the power that works personally in your life and my life when Christ comes in. Power of an endless life. It's not, that's not easy method to, to, to take in in a sense because some things in this world we are used to things that have an end. Everything comes to an end in this life but here we have something that is endless. Endless. And only God could bring that to our attention and bring it into this world. An endlessness. That's why it satisfies you. I challenge anybody here tonight who doesn't have Christ, who has problems with that, to taste and see if he, this is means disappointment. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's an eternal redemption that he brought in. Because we need we need something permanent in this shifting sands of time in this world where everything is on the move. We need something that is permanent, that we can latch on to and know we're safe. That is why he gives us the Christ as the anchor of our soul. Not anchored in anything here in this world, but within the veil. And nothing touches it there. We need that permanence. And people then can sing this song along, though in the most unlikely of places. In the midst of the greatest tragedies that life can throw. The worst illness that can come your way. And even on the deathbed. Because of the permanence of it. There was a young man on this island many years ago. When the old Lewis Hospital was, was uh, in action. And uh, th at that time, what we know now as uh, this horrid disease wasn't as popular then as it is now. He was one of the first, one, the first ones to, to know. For a young person, anyway, it was very, very unusual to see it happen, that it was happening. And he was in the, in the Lewis Hospital up there, and, and uh, they got to know him. And he, he had a Bible on his locker. And the nurse said to him, I see, she said, that you have a Bible on your locker there. And he said, nothing else matters to me now. Nothing. That's all that matters. Everything else was soon to be in the past. But now, he says, I'm rooted in this one. In the permanent word. The living God, he said. Nothing else matters to me now. But today everything else seems to matter except that, doesn't it? 
Everything else seems to matter. And yet it doesn't matter at the end of it all. Because Mary chose the good part that would never be taken from you. That was the last bit. That was the last thing. Because she wasn't redeemed silver or gold or precious jewels, but by thy mercy, you say, in thy mercy, you have saved us. And he was to be with them to guide them until the very end of life. He is our life and the length of our days. This is not about a hopeless end. It is about an endless hope. And there's the world of difference, eternity of difference between something that is oh, as a hopeless end or an endless hope. And we sway between one or the other here today. And no case is hopeless for as long as Christ lives. The first step is to be brought out of bondage into Jesus, into the liberty that doesn't grant us the liberty to do anything that we want ourselves. That's not what it is. We are set free. As Augustine said, man is free when he delights to do God's work. That's when he's free. When he delights to do it. Not when he's dragged in or when it's a huge duty or something but when he delights to do God's will. You will find that in your own personal life as you go on, if that's the case. Helps them in this world and helps them into heaven. Joins them in the heavenly praise of Revelation. Chapter 15 speaks about this very song. It tells us about Verse 3, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds. That goes on. Nothing can separate us from the love of God once it is ours. And the wonderful thing is tonight, yet, there is room. Yet there is room. Yet your place is there. But are you nurturing a hopeless end? Would you prefer an endless hope? Believe, he said, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. And for eternity. A powerful song, a personal song, and a permanent song. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the grace that enables us to carry on. My grace, he said, is sufficient for you. And yet he prayed again and again. And yet he got no answer except that the grace was sufficient to see him through. Help us, Lord, from making unreal demands upon you. 
but to wait upon thee and to know that those who wait upon the Lord shall have their strength renewed. Go before us now, Lord, we pray. Pacify the very murmurings of our hearts. Forgive us in Jesus' name. by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 37, metrical Psalm 37, at verse 34. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and the exalt shall be. The earth to inherit when cut off, the wicked thou shalt see. I saw the wicked great in power, spread like a green bay tree. He passed, yea, was not him I saw, but he could not be. Mark thou the perfect and behold the man of uprightness because that surely to this man the laughter end is peace. Three verses to God's praise of Psalm 37 verse 34 Wait on the Lord and keep his